The Favorites Podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I bet with FanDuel because they're safe and secure. They offer great odds and markets across the NBA, NHL, and more. And because it's fun to combine multiple bets into same game parlays. So if you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code FAVORITES so they know I sent you. You must be 21 and over and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Louisiana. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. We are heading into the Sweet 16 of March Madness. We are getting through the tournament, a glorious, glorious tournament. Ratings up 12%. Upsets happening. Blue Bloods advancing. Coach K sneaking in, beating Tom Izzo. It's been a phenomenal tournament. We're going to break it all down with BJ Cunningham and with Stucky who have been covering it all for the action network, two of our college basketball action network analysts and experts. Before we get there, let me bring in my co-host, my BFF, my companion, my compadre, professional better, Simon Hunter. Chad, buddy. Got to do a little house. Dude, we can't even get 48 hours between tapings of the show without something ridiculous happening in the NFL yesterday. Tyreek Hill getting traded from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. What do you think? Yeah, madness. I mean, I think it's hilarious that they move from 70 to 1 to 35 to 1 to win a Super Bowl. Like, that's one of the more, more bizarre movements I've ever seen. But uh, got to do some housekeeping on. I, in fact, did make an Instagram at uh, Simon Hunter NFL. And people took a joke the wrong way. Uh, if I tweet on Twitter, unless I'm giving out picks, I'm being sarcastic or I'm joking. Twitter is. A hellish place. It's a trolling place. And I will usually joke on there. I do not have a publicist. Chad is my publicist. I don't actually have a publicist. It's uh, true. Chad had said that I need to do more stuff with social media. And I, you know, I can't do TikTok yet. I mean, maybe, maybe. Uh, I'm dipping my toes, though, with Instagram. So I'm, I'm eventually going to start doing live stuff. I know there's a ton of NFL stuff going on. We'll figure something out. But um, yeah. That is my profile. That is real. I do have an Instagram account now. And I wasn't really hacked. I did actually pick UConn to win it all. People people thought I really did get hacked. I didn't get hacked. Uh, I did pick UConn. I think that's back-to-back years now. The team I picked to win it all got knocked out on the first Thursday game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at college basketball. Relieves you of the burden of having to be stressed like my friends <laughs> Stucky and BJ. I'm following you now, uh, Simon Hunter NFL on Instagram. I just did it while you were talking. I'm excited about that. Um, all right, Stucky and BJ. Uh, Stucky, I want to start with you. The very first question. We've had a lot of upsets. Um, 
if you're reseeding the tournament right now, West, East, South, Midwest, who are your top two seeds in each region? Um, well, well, now I've got to look, I've got to look at the regions, but and by the way, thanks for having me. Uh, overall, I'll pull up the bracket in a sec, but overall, if I were to reseed the entire tournament, one seeds would be Gonzaga, Arizona, Houston, and Kansas. Two seeds, Villanova, Purdue, Duke, and UCLA. Three seeds, Texas Tech, and the two and three are very similar. I mean, I have Duke a little ahead of Texas Tech, but their margin is very, very slim. But Texas Tech would be the first, number three. Then North Carolina, Arkansas, Michigan. And just to show you, UCLA is my last number two. My third number three is North Carolina. They play each other. I, the margin there is less than a point on a neutral court. And the four seeds will be Providence. <clears throat> and then, a, you know, Miami, Iowa State. And then a big drop-off to St. Peter's, which would be the 16th seed. So if that was the case, if you seeded the tournament, I mean, some, some you know, conference tournaments do this. You know, you'd have Gonzaga playing St. Peter's. The only matchups that would still hold would be Kansas versus Providence and Villanova versus Michigan. And if we did reseed, interestingly enough, we'd have four days of talking Duke Carolina because that would be the matchup based on my power ratings. That would have been amazing. Providence is a fascinating team. And BJ, I want to get your take on this also in the, the reseeding in a second. Look, it's one of those teams that a lot of people thought would get knocked out in the first round, thought they might have been overseeded. Their metrics were terrible. Analytics were terrible. And yet here they are surprising everybody and breaking through into the Sweet 16. BJ, I don't think you like Providence when the tournament began. Not at all. No, I, I think I said it on BBOC a long time ago, but there's just something paganistic going on with Providence this year that I just cannot put my finger on analytically. I mean, if you look at shot quality, they should have lost actually their last two games, even though they beat Richmond by what was it? 28 points. They actually, based on the quality of shots, they should have lost by two points. So I don't really know what's going on with them, Chad. I can't figure them out. Uh, analytically, it doesn't make any sense. So an analytics guy like me, I've just kind of thrown my hands up and said, you know what? They'll probably beat Kansas by 20 in this next round. But you know what? They're on a historic run. And you know what? Keep riding that uh, lucky rabbit's foot all the way to the title. All right. Reseed for me. All right. So Gonzaga, number one seed. I agree with Stucky on that. Arizona, also number one seed. I do agree with Stucky that Houston should also, if we reseed, it should be a one seed. And then Kansas as a two seed. I'm going to disagree a little bit on Stuck. I know there's the margin for errors a little bit. It's very close. I have Texas Tech as a two seed, along with Purdue, Villanova, and UCLA. And then three seeds, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan, and Arkansas. And then uh, I agree with him on the uh, four seeds, Iowa State, Miami, Providence, and St. Peter's as four seeds. So the Houston-Arizona game is going to be absolutely fascinating for two teams that really probably should be, like Stucky's already said, one seeds. But yeah, if I had to reseed the tournament, I think Gonzaga and Arizona are pretty much in a uh, class as, as their own going forward in the tournament. All right, well, look, we got Gonzaga and Arizona playing tonight. We got four more games tomorrow night. This is Thursday afternoon when we're recording this. Arkansas-Gonzaga is the first game on CBS in our uh, night of doubleheaders here. They are nine-and-a-half-point favorites against Arkansas. BJ, you first. A lot of problems for Arkansas on this matchup, and that's why you see them as you know such big underdogs. Like, first off, Gonzaga, number one team in the country in two-point field goal percentage allowed in field goal percentage out at the rim with Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. Arkansas is a terrible shooting team. 
237th in effective field goal percentage and outside the top 303 point field goal percentage. So, you know, the Hawks attack the rim at a very high rate uh, and it's not really going to work in this type of matchup. And if you look back to their schedule, you know, the one team they played that has, you know, size similar to Gonzaga down low was Auburn. And obviously they won that game against Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, but uh, they weren't that effective at the rim, only around 0.9 points per possession at the rim, which is actually really bad. Uh, really the only chance Arkansas has in this game is for it to be played in transition, similar to what Memphis did. They aren't really effective in the half court or in transition. They're on 150th in both. But Gonzaga is outside the top 150 in transition defense and their fourth and half court defense. So uh, Memphis was able to put up over 1.1 points per possession against Gonzaga. So the over in this game, funny enough, is basically set exactly at what the, the Memphis-Gonzaga game was. So uh, for me, I am really looking at the total here at over 154.5. I know it's, it's, it's high, but... I mean, Arkansas, really their only chance in this game is they got to play it up and down. And that's what Gonzaga absolutely loves to do. And they'll do that uh, happily the entire game. So, uh, and Gonzaga, obviously, you know, you look at their metrics, number one team in two-point field goal percentage. And, you know, I could go through it all, but basically the best offense in college basketball. So I'm leaning towards over 154.5 points. As far as the spread is concerned, I think the number is about right. Uh, But just a lot of advantages for Gonzaga here against Arkansas. Stuck. Yeah, I have no official play here. If this would be, this is probably a really good game if you want to get in live. Both teams want to play up and down. Arkansas is really streaky. Gonzaga goes on big runs. So if you're looking for, you know, if you're like, I kind of like Arkansas, or I kind of like Gonzaga, it's a good chance you might be able to get a better number live. Arkansas also been known to come out and start slow, so you might get a better number on them more so than Gonzaga. But it's not a great matchup for Arkansas. Arkansas wants to get to the line. That's really where they live. Gonzaga doesn't really foul. You know, Arkansas wants to pressure you. Gonzaga doesn't turn it over. And what they did against Memphis and Georgia State, two teams that do pressure you, they only turned it over seven times in each game. I thought that was really telling for this particular matchup. You know, Arkansas wants to get on the offensive glass. Gonzaga's great on the defensive glass. So unless J.D. Note, Arkansas's guard, who's just very up and down, he can get into foul trouble. Unless he has a huge day, he's got to go for like 25 or 30 here. This is a Gonzaga win and probably a Gonzaga cover, but the line's pretty sharp. Uh, I think that if you want to bet this, maybe look for an opportunity live, but it's just not the best matchup for Arkansas. It is interesting. This is the most bet on game in the action app right now. And as a 12K more bets on it than the Duke Texas Tech, which obviously I'm a Duke fan. That's my favorite game. So next up. It's Michigan. the first one though. First one. Everyone, you, go, you look on Thursday of the first round of the tournament, Friday, the first game is always the most bet. Everyone just can't wait, and they just they have to bet that first game that starts. True degenerates. I love it. <laughs> um, Michigan Nova, the next game, Big Ten versus Big East. Michigan plus five. Is that is that too many points for this Michigan team? What do you think, Stuck? No, I think that I actually – I make it a little bit higher. Um, I, I lean towards Villanova here. I might look to get them better number live. There's – look, Villanova runs pick and roll with Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore. As at a top 15 rate nationally, they do it as well as anybody. And that's where Michigan struggles. They're in like the 13th percentile for synergy. That's really bad covering pick and roll. So I think their guards could be exposed here. Hunter Dickinson does have a big advantage in the post on the other end. But I assume Jay Wright will come up with a good game plan to contain him or just say, look, get yours. We won't let everyone else beat us from three. So, you know, it's the, the fairly sharp line. I actually would lean Villanova. The thing to keep in mind here is that if this game is close late, Villanova is leading. Villanova 
probably the best free throw shooting team in the country, maybe of all time in the final few minutes of a game. They have a couple guards who are just 90% who do not miss, who do not even hit the rim. So, if, you know, Villanova's up two to three to four late, and Michigan has the foul. That's going to go to six. And then if Michigan misses, all of a sudden it's at eight. And that could end up swinging this. So I think Villanova gets it done, but fascinating matchup because I think the Nova pick and roll is going to have a huge advantage in addition to their guards, you know, Gillespie and company backing down the smaller Michigan guards. I think that when they invert their offense, they can have success there. So I would lean Villanova, but line's pretty sharp. Might look for it live. The free throws late might end up swinging this one. You with them, BJ? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I do lean towards Villanova. I actually kind of like the under in, in this matchup. I mean, I think it's good, you're going to see a very similar game to the Ohio State-Villanova game uh, where Villanova is just going to try to slow this game down to their snail's pace. Um, and it's basically going to be played in the half court. And to echo off of Stucky's you know, point about Hunter Dickinson, you know, Villanova, obviously they don't have a height to deal with them. I mean, the tallest guy is six foot eight. But against Ohio State, who's a top five uh, t- frequency team in terms of post-ups, they only allowed eight points on 14 post-up sets. Uh, and they're actually, in the Big East, they faced five teams who are in the top 40 in terms of average height. So it's not like they're u- not used to playing this type of height. And they're also a top 30 team in terms of points for possession allowed at the rim. So I don't think that Dickinson is going to be as dominant as everybody thinks. Jay Wright's a great schemer, like Stucky already said, so hook him up with a good game plan. The thing about Villanova, you know, they obviously, like Stucky said, they have the great advantage in pick and roll, but they're obviously a high-frequency three-point shooting team. But what's weird about Villanova is they don't get a lot of open three-pointers. They're 332nd in open three-point rate, and Michigan is fourth in the country in allowing open three-pointers. So a lot of Nova shots I don't think are going to be the highest quality. So I actually do like the under 135.5 points. I think Villanova will slow this pace down, keep it in the half court, and with both defenses having some – Nice advantages. I think that uh, it'll lend itself to a low scoring affair. Yeah, under scare wants to play me. fast. Under under scare me right now in it with a team like Villanova because of what Stucky said that you get into the last couple of minutes and it's playing at a pace that is so decidedly under, and then Michigan is behind and has to foul constantly, and Nova just piles it on with with the free throws, and you see it slipping away. The last two games of the night, Texas Tech. Duke, Houston, Arizona. Let's start with Texas Tech and Duke. Texas Tech is a one-point favorite. Um, both games are lined really, really close. BJ, we've talked about Duke. Every game is a celebration because it's potentially Coach K's last game. If I spend every waking moment trying to just be you, eventually that becomes a shallow life. That can't be what motivates me. Even when Duke was losing to Michigan State, when they lost that lead, I still didn't believe Duke was going to lose that game. And this team, they can look amazing. And then they can look like what they are, which is a bunch of really talented freshmen who are going to take off for the NBA. Well, what's funny about this matchup, I, I saw on Twitter that I think it's the, high, the biggest discrepancy in terms of average age in a starting five in an NCAA tournament matchup ever. I think Duke is around like 18 and a half years old and Texas Tech is like, 23 and a half because they have a bunch of you know grad transfers so not that that plays too much in the handicap I just thought it was kind of funny Duke obviously they love to get out and run in transition they're very effective in doing so but Texas Tech is a very good defensive team in transition Duke obviously has been struggling defending in transition they're outside the top 200 so if they want to try to play this game in the half court to take away Texas Tech's advantage in transition where even though the Red Raiders don't spend a lot of time in transition they are still a top five team in terms of efficiency Texas Tech is the number one defense in the country in half-court defense. So 
Duke is kind of in this weird position where it's like, okay, we want to play in transition, but we're bad defensively. So if we want to play in the half court, well, we got to go against the number one half court defense in the entire country. It's, it's a, it's a weird type of scheme type matchup. Duke uh, offensively is a high frequency cutting and isolation offense, which works against most opponents because they have size and athleticism advantages, but it's not really going to work against Texas tech because they're top five in defending both of those types of sets. And really the only way to beat Texas tech is you got to hit their hit shots from behind the arc, which Duke is capable of doing, but it puts a lot of pressure on the blue devils to hit those shots from uh, three point range on the flip side. We've talked about it a lot, but Duke really can't stop anything right now. They're, you know, they've played two sub 200 offenses that can't attack the rim effectively. Duke can't turn anybody over right now. They're outside the top 300 in turnover percentage, which is one of Texas tech's main weaknesses. They're struggling to keep teams off the offensive glass. Texas tech is a top 40 offensive rebounding team. And like I already said, they can't defend in transition. So if Texas Tech wants to get out in transition, they should be able to score basically at will. So I think there's a lot of positives for Texas Tech in this matchup. So I am on the Red Raiders on the money line uh, at minus 115, and I think that they're going to end Coach K's career tonight. You need to trust somebody. You don't know it all. Stuck. I can't quite get there, but I'm not playing Duke. But Duke does have the individual talent to – score on this elite defense like you need just individual playmakers and you need to make threes which they can make threes and they have individual playmakers who can just take the ball late in the shot clock and make plays i actually like the under here uh i think the texas Techs look duke's defense has been a mess and if you look back they've gone over i don't know eight of nine games but i don't think texas tech's offense is the offense that can really exploit some of their issues off the ball i think that duke can really match up individually here and this texas tech offense is just ugly and they go through long droughts and i don't think duke's offense is going to have it easy and i think you're going to see this just become a half court grinder so i really like the under and chad you, you know you said unders are scary duke unders are particularly scary but split some with the first half and you know with this the, when spreads are really tight it's a better chance that this is gonna be a close game than a blowout which means there's overtime risk there's risk of fouls late it's the last game of the year right for one of these teams so if you're down you're gonna foul until the very end tournament games fouling's up 20 to 25 percent in the last two minutes so if you like an under like i do here put some on the first half under as well uh you know for some sanity and then a partial hedge against some of those late game situations with fouling and potential overtime but i think this turns into a half court ground these two teams played like three or four years ago when zion was a duke on a neutral court in madison square garden final scores like 69 to 58 wouldn't be shocked if we saw something similar Duke's defense has to just come out and guard, which they haven't been able to do. But uh, the Texas Tech offense can you know, kind of beat itself at times. The fouling in the final two minutes would be even compared to previous years, if not for UNC Baylor. Or, or Purdue, Texas. But yeah, that was uh, there's been a couple of rough shows so far. Some real shit shows. Spoken like a true leader, which is all Shashevsky says he ever wanted to be. That's what I was trained to do. That's why I went to West Point to be a leader. Yeah, this game, I honestly, looking at just the reverse line movement would scare me off of Duke. Duke has literally been getting all the money, all the bets, and the line just keeps moving towards Texas Tech. So obviously a professional group has made a stance, and they're taking Texas Tech here. So I would say be careful if you're a Duke fan like me. I'm going to wait and hopefully get an inline game, uh, get a better number than this because, like Stucky said, I really don't feel like there's that much value right now um, with this number. It's just – it's just such a low number. But the next matchup, Houston, Arizona, you guys already talked about it. You reseeded it. You both had Houston as a one seed. This is obviously the best game of the Thursday, Friday slate. Who, who do you guys like in this match? We'll start with you, BJ. 
I don't really like a side in this one. I think this is a game you can jump in on live. I'll be honest. I was waiting for this line to come open, obviously, with Arizona, you know, blowing that lead against TCU and having to go to overtime. I was hoping to get Houston at, you know, plus three, plus three and a half, maybe even four. But now we're down to one and a half. I really don't think there's much value in the line. I mean, it's really interesting because you saw how much Arizona struggled keeping TCU off the offensive glass. I mean, they had 20 offensive rebounds against them. Well, Houston is third in the country in offensive rebound percentage and has way, a way more efficient offense than TCU because the Horn Frogs basically just relied on offensive rebounds the entire year. So outside of crashing the offensive glass, really the way to beat Arizona is you got to knock down threes and you have to be efficient in transition, which Houston isn't a great three-point shooting team, but they are top five, top 35 in terms of efficiency and transition, even if they do play at an incredibly slow pace. The problem I have for Arizona in this matchup is they're a very high-frequency team in finishing at the rim, which you just can't do against Houston. I mean, you can ask Illinois about that. They had only 18 points at the rim with Kofi Coburn. So it's it's just a really difficult matchup for Arizona. But on the flip side, you know, I, I don't really trust Houston off, Houston's offense. They can go through these kind of lulls and stretches. You know, Arizona, obviously, they're not they're a good three-point shooting team. But, you know, if you watch, you know, Chris against uh, uh, TCU, he's their main three-point shooter. He went one of 10 and almost took them out of the game. So I think it's a good chance to get in on this live. I think this game is going to come down to, you know, the final few possessions. So if one team comes out hot uh, and gets a big lead, I think you can jump in on whoever's down to get a better number. I can guarantee I will not be up for this game. That's the one thing we can bet on is that I'll be sleeping and I'll learn the score in the morning when I roll over and check my phone. Wait, Chad, would there be any matchup that you would, that could be played at this, this time slot that you would stay up for? Duke Carolina was playing. Would you stat for that? It's honestly, it's not even about the teams. It's just about what can my body handle? Like last week, Friday night was a full on sports explosion. My kid and I, we started watching the games as early as we could in the afternoon. We were watching them until the last game ended. We had multiple screens up on one screen. At one point, we had the Bulls and the Suns because they were playing late. The Bulls were playing, you know, in the 10 o'clock tip off in Phoenix. It's only about, you know, what is my current body clock status? It's not it's not matchup. It's not matchup at all. It's only that you too old. You're just an old man. Okay. Protect yourself against upsets this March with Bracket Parlay Insurance on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, all customers can get up to $25 cash back each day if your parlay of three legs or more falls one leg short. And parlays are great because you can turn a small bet into a big payday. For example, I like a parlay of Gonzaga, Purdue, and Kansas money lines here in the Sweet 16. Plus, with cash out, the ball's in your court so you can close out your bet whenever you want before the game is over. New to FanDuel, just sign up with promo code FAVORITES. Then you can bet the bracket all tournament long. That's promo code FAVORITES on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. You must be 21 and over and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming. If exactly one leg loses, refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. NCAA tournament SBK wager required. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1 800 Gambler, or visit slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, 1 888 789 or visit ccpg.org/chat in Connecticut. 
1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. We got the Cinderella story. The Peacocks from St. Peter's, Northern New Jersey, going against the Purdue Boilermakers. I'm a little torn on this. As a one-time resident of Jersey, Northern New Jersey, I love the state. I love like the attitude that St. Peter's plays with. But even though I went to Indiana, when I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, there was a guy from our area who went to play at Purdue. That team with Gene Cady like, was always ranked number one and never made it to the Final Four. So I had a little soft spot for Purdue. And it's still been so long since like they had that run. And now Matt Painter has been there a while. They've had great teams. I know they're going to win this game in advance. I would like Purdue to get to the Final Four. Stuck, give me your take on the 12 and a half point favorite Purdue Boilermakers against St. Peter's. Yeah, St. Peter's from run, run, baby, run gym. If you saw uh, some of the games last week, their small gym there, it's an incredible story. If you look at like their budget and I mean, Iona was the clear favorite to win that conference. And now they're in the Sweet 16 is a 15 seed. Only two other 15 seats have ever made it this far. Both actually covered in the Sweet 16, but neither did win. But yeah, run, baby, run, Jim. One of the coolest gym names. By the way, I think I, I think I read the other day that you were just talking about Jersey too. Born to Run, uh, the Springsteen song, that was supposed to be like the Jersey State song and it went to like the Senate and then someone was like brought up that it was about running from New Jersey so they didn't pass that <laughs> State song. Anyway, that just that just clicked in my head when I was saying run in Jersey. But look, teams in the Sweet 16 that are getting double digits have not had a lot of success in the past. Uh, although, like I said, the two 15 seeds did cover. St. Peter's is a tough matchup here. Talk about the Purdue-Texas game. Purdue shot 45 free throws against Texas, who's undersized in the middle. But they're Texas, a lot better athletes than St. Peter's. Purdue just marched the line. All they do is go to the free throw line, top 10 in the country. And that's because they have just two trees inside that you can't cover. Well, St. Peter's bottom 10 in the country in foul rate. Very aggressive defense. They can't really stop Purdue inside here. I mean, look, you go back to that Kentucky game. They were playing Oscar Sheba. You could say, well, they beat Kentucky. Sheba had 30 and I think 14. He did whatever he wanted inside. And the other side of the ball, Peters. So I, this could be just a march, the free throw line for Purdue over and over again. The other side of the ball, Peters relies on two things for offense. Getting to the line. Well, guess what? Purdue's also top 10 in foul rate on defense. And offensive rebounds, Purdue, great defensive rebounding team. So I, I think the Cinderella story is probably up. If I had to pick a side here, I'd probably go Purdue. I, I don't show a ton of value in the number, so I might just stay away and root for St. Peter's Magic. I mean, look, there's the three-point line. The refs might – they need them to not call this game tight. But they could hit a bunch of threes. Purdue could be off, and maybe we can get a 15 seed to the Elite Eight for the first time ever. How can you not root for that? But – from a matchup perspective, ugh, it's bad news for the Peacocks. BJ, yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, it's a really bad matchup for the Peacocks. You know, it's funny. I'm I'll I'll, uh, I'll send you a thread chat of all the uh, the crazy things of St. Peter's and their budget. A former uh, assistant basically went through all of just the crazy things from their budget that happened from the gym leaking multiple times, from them working in an offense with one inch of, of water on the floor. Like it's just it's crazy that they actually made it this far. I agree, with Stucky. It's it's hard because the size that Purdue has inside is, is really a huge advantage against St. Peter's. And like I mentioned, when I came on for the uh, first round, breaking down the first round of the tournament, 
St. Peter's attacks are at the, the highest frequency of anybody in the country, but they're not effective in doing so. And they weren't really that effective against Kentucky or Murray State. And so trying to score at the rim against Purdue's size is a big problem. They really just have to go berserk from the three-point line. That's really the only chance that they have because, like Stucky said, they're not going to be able to get to the line like they're used to. Uh, it's just – it's a really, really tough matchup for St. Peter's. But they get hot from three. Uh, they, they could do it. So uh, I definitely lean – Purdue with the massive size advantages down low, but you know what? Kentucky had massive size advantages down low and look what happened to them. So who knows what can happen? Purdue is no stranger to covering big numbers in the tournament. Yep. So far. They're good. They're a good big favorite. Yeah. Generally they play these mid majors that just can't, you can't cover seven footers, right? They don't have the size and then it's just Purdue layup, Purdue dunk, Purdue layup. Even if they're not hitting their threes, it's just a tough matchup when you have that much size. I'm heartbroken you guys didn't call them the Peacocks the whole time. Like, you just kept calling them St. Peter's. I mean, come on, guys. Peacocks. The Peacocks. Got to let them fly. Peacock Uh, proud, man. (laughs) I love that they're also – they're the best against the spread college basketball team. Is that correct? This season? St. Peter's Peacocks? Yeah, 19-4, I believe. You know, I love – I love riding those trends, so I'm definitely going to be taking them. I've I've taken them last two weeks. Did not touch the money line either game because I am a coward. I'm doing. I'm gonna throw a little on the money line this time. So look, if it gets close late, all the pressure shifts. The to pressure. Purdue. That's what I'm thinking. Big disappointment. Too. They're supposed to win this. So if St. Peter's can just keep it close, and people are um, like, crowd will turn, and you know it'll get interesting. People's whole thing. They don't like it. It's a whole week of them being celebrated. It's like, have you guys seen their school? They're getting celebrated by like ten people. It's not like they've come back to like thousands and thousands, but forty thousand people campus. It's like a two thousand person campus. So. Look, I'm Oral Roberts. Him. Oral Roberts had a shot to beat their the 15 seed, the uh, one of the uh, other three, including St. Peter's, 15 seeds that get to the Sweet 16. They had a shot to beat Arkansas late, so you never know. Love it. So we got next up Providence versus Kansas, seven and a half. Am, am I crazy? Is that way too many points in this matchup, or is Kansas that legit in your opinion? What about you? What do you think, BJ? I would sit here and tell you analytically that Kansas has a ton of advantages and that they should be able to blow out Providence. I mean, shot quality has us at minus 12 for Kansas. They are, you know, they're top 40 in, in terms of points per possession and transition. Providence outside the top 300. So Kansas should be able to just absolutely torch them. But again, I don't really know what's going on with Providence because they have this weird ability for teams to just not hit open shots against them. It's very, very strange. I don't know how they do it. Uh, but teams, just for whatever reason, can't hit open shots. And Kansas has struggled all year getting margin against uh, as big favorites. And they did it against a very undermanned Creighton team who was out without their starting point guard and center. I mean, there are so many times they could have just gone on runs and put that game away, but they just couldn't. So this is a game I will ultimately passing because Providence has beaten me down uh, into the ground and, and Kansas also. Uh, I just don't trust them as a big favorite. So I, I'm just ultimately just passing on this game and, Providence will probably win by 20, uh, and I'll just uh, go even further into the ground. BJ sounds like a man defeated, Stucky. I am very <laughs> defeated. I, I like Providence. I, I'm on Providence here. I think it's too many points. Um, look, Providence has a bunch of they're, – they're one of the most experienced teams in the country. They're well coached, and BJ pointed it out. Kansas can't really extend <clears throat> against teams that are just, like, slightly inferior. I think Prov- they have, Providence also has a number of options of guys. They don't have to rely on one guy getting hot. It's a really well-balanced team. I think that they can, you know, their physicality can give Candace some problems. Candace in transition is deadly against anybody. And Providence's transition defense is awful. So if Providence isn't hitting shots, this could get really ugly. 
but they're going to have to have shots anyway to stay in it. That just means that it could go from like 10 to 20 quick. But I think this is too many points. I've been on Providence the first two rounds. I'm on them again. I'll ride this voodoo wagon until the wheels fall off. Uh, all right. Look, the next game is such a classic, you know, college blue blood matchup. UNC and UCLA. UCLA, uh, two and a half point favorites. UNC, obviously a surprise. Knocking off Baylor, giving up a 25 point lead. Winning in overtime, good for Hubert Davis. Feel good story. I don't care if they can advance. Stuck, can they cover? No, I like UNC here. I'm waiting to lock it in. There's one of UCLA's best players hurt last week in Jaime Jaquez, and they're waiting to see. They say if he can walk, he can play. People were analyzing like him walking to the bus. I think he's going to play. I don't think he'll be 100%. But if, if word gets out that he's fine, if he's warming up, you might see – this line come up maybe the three three and a half so i'm waiting to see if that happens before i take unc but i think that this is pretty close to a coin flip game and i think that unc has a lot of advantages here look this ucla defense is incredible but in order to beat them you have to do a couple things you have to be able to hit threes catch and shoot threes and that's where unc is elite and you have to beat them in transition and ucla's transition defense outside the top 300 unc is elite in that aspect. And what will UNC do here? They can defensive rebound. They're second in the country in that aspect. And that takes that does two things. That takes away a strength of UCLA, who's good on the offensive glass, and it leads to transition opportunities the other way where UNC can take advantage of UCLA. And the other side of the ball, you, UNC doesn't turn anybody over ever, but UCLA doesn't turn, turn the ball over ever against anyone. So that strength is kind of negated in a way because UNC is not going to turn anyone over anyway. UCLA is not going to turn it over. So, you know, UNC's weak on the three-point line. UCLA doesn't really shoot threes. They're outside the top 300. It's a mid-range jumping team. So I think at their peak, UNC is a more talented and better team, slightly. They have underperformed. UCLA has been way more consistent. The problem with UNC is they've had a, a number of games where their defense just doesn't show up. Just for whatever reason, a young team, their defense doesn't show up. Some of their young pieces. But it's a tournament. You can expect their defense to be locked in here. I like UNC catching the points. I'm going to wait to see if I can get a three. Are you as defeated on this as you are on Providence, uh, BJ? No, I'm actually going to disagree with stuff. I actually like UCLA minus two. And, and I agree that there are some wording designs for UCLA uh, in terms of, you know, the, the um, catch and shoot threes and defending off pick and rolls and everything. But, you know, North Carolina is a, a top 20 team in terms of efficiency off, off ball screens. And that's how they got, that's basically how they beat Baylor. Well, UCLA is top 50 in, def- top 50 in defending those off-ball screens and also be able to handle Baycott down low because they're a top 50 team in terms of defending post-up sets. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on North Carolina to knock down those three-pointers, which if you look at their shot quality stats, they are due for some negative regression shooting the ball. UCLA, you're going to see a ton of mid-range jumpers, and for good reason because they're top 10 in terms of efficiency from the mid-range, while North Carolina is only average at defending from the mid-range. Uh, it's going to be very difficult. It's uh, from North Carolina, you know, obviously if they're able to uh, dominate the defensive glass, uh, then that's great, but not being able to turn opponents over, that's going to put a lot of pressure on them to keep UCLA off the offensive glass. So uh, we'll see if Hawkes plays. I mean, if, if he's, if he's not hundred percent, I still do like UCLA at minus two uh, or better, but I'm actually on the Bruins in this matchup. All right. Now we got a conflict. I don't know what to do no. right now. So we'll have to wait and see if Hawkes plays. I think that changes everything. Going to wait and see, see how the number moves. 
Simon, back to you, buddy. This feels like the first matchup that I looked at and thought of college football. I don't know why Iowa State versus Miami just brought me to bowl season. I was like, man, they, they should name this matchup some type of bowl game. But then I looked at it, and it's just interesting. They're both 10 and 11 seeds. So this is obviously two teams that you, know, you can say they got a little lucky getting here, or maybe they're just underseeded. But this Miami team just not has, has not been hitting shots, yet they're still winning, and they're doing it weird ways. Like, what, they have 20 steals last game? I, I, I could not get over how they won these past weekends. So looking at this, it feels like everyone's coming on Miami, and I'm right there with them. It's up to minus two and a half now against Iowa State. A- am I overthinking this? Should I just go the Iowa State side? I like Miami personally. And Jim Laranega's voice here. Yes, that's a hey, very nice. Very nice. I think this is a great matchup for Miami. Iowa State, look, they got here. They beat an LSU team in disarray without a coach that just turns the ball over. Then they beat Wisconsin that lost Hepburn there and they couldn't really run offense with him. He got injured and was out for the game and they turned, they had 19 forced turnovers and 17 forced turnovers in their first two tournament games. That's what Iowa state does pressure defense. That's the only way they could score. Their half court offense is disgusting, but they can force turnovers, get out in transition and score. Well, guess what? Miami and I would say number four in the country in forced turnover percentage, Miami number five, in turnover percentage on offense. They don't turn the ball over ever. They have four ball handlers on the court at all times. They're not going to turn the ball over. On the other side of the ball, Miami actually forces turnovers, and Iowa State turns it over incessantly. So it's actually Miami that's going to be able to force turnovers here. That's how they beat USC, despite shooting one of 14 from three. USC was nine of 20. They're going to be able to get on transition, and they're number one in the nation in transition efficiency. So I think this is a really easy handicap. The, the problem with Miami all year – is their interior defense, they're not big, and rebounding. Not really concerns against Iowa State. I think it's a great matchup for Miami. Uh, I, I, that's the time I checked. I think everyone's on it. Don't care. I think it's a great matchup. Um, I'll be on the Canes money line here. Maybe pair them with uh, Purdue if you want or, or Gonzaga if you want to get the price down. But I think Miami advances. I think it's, a, it's a, just a spectacular matchup. That's kind of the calmness I need right at the end. You see how you did that? That was good. Yeah, I totally agree. Echoing everything Stucky said, it, Iowa State's really just stuck in this matchup because if they want to play in transition, which they're better at offensively, well, like Stucky already said, Miami, most efficient team in transition offensively, but they're also top 65 in defending in transition. And where Miami's weakest is defending in the half court, which Iowa State, 336th in points for possession and half court offense and averaged over under 0.8 points per possession and half court offense, which is really bad in the first two games. So I don't really know what Iowa state's going to do. They, they can't, they're obviously a very good team at defending in the half court, but if they want to play a half court game. They can't score offensively. So I don't really know what they're going to do in Miami. Like there's just so many advantages for Miami, especially at the rim, Miami 64% field goal percentage at the rim this, this year, they faced USC who's the second best team in the country at defending at the rim, put up 1.13 points for possession Against Auburn, against Javari Smith and Walker Kessler, they had 40 points at the rim against them. Iowa State is top 50 nationally defending at the rim, so I still think Miami's going to have advantages there. I'm with Stucky. I love the Hurricanes. There's just way too many advantages for them for the, for the line to be this low. So I'm on the Hurricanes minus two. All right, that's all good. Ready? Go. All right, guys, before we get out of here, we'll preview post-Elite Eight, Final Four, and Championship game. But now with the uh, Sweet 16 set, we're going to have another eight games over the next two days. BJ, give me your final four coming out of the weekend. I'll go uh, Texas Tech making the final four out of the West. I had that originally. I think that they'll get by Duke and give Gonzaga a lot of problems. 
I'll have Purdue coming out of the East. I'll take Arizona coming out of the South. It doesn't make me feel very good given their matchup against Houston. And I'll have Kansas coming out of the Midwest for the final four. Stuck. What about you? I'll go Gonzaga, North Carolina, Villanova, and Kansas. Wow. That's a blue blood final four right there. Yes. Except my wildcats aren't there. Unfortunately. So that's a nice, that's a nice roundup. All right, guys, for even more college basketball content, make sure you listen to big bets on campus. Probably our best podcast. Great info. I think we're primed for sweet 16 BJ Cunningham Stucky for Simon Hunter, Simon Hunter NFL on Instagram. Now for producer, Matt Mitchell, I am Chad Millman. Until next time, please download the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star review. Say whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. 